just for folks who are thinking about, you know, new paths forward, that the biggest upside is in the space where, that no one has tried yet. That's Evan LaRuffa. He's the founder of Chicago-based nonprofit I Paint My Mind, which brings art to community spaces with incredible impact. But it's much deeper than that. In this episode, we hope to answer questions about the role of art in community, shifting certain forms of oppression, and in leadership that benefits more than just the leader. I hope you'll listen in. This is the Super Givers Podcast. So let's go into that from the start. I'd love to know, uh, since, since many people listening may not have heard of I Paint My Mind, can you start with sure. really what is the mission and why is it here? Absolutely. Uh, so first of all, just thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm always excited to explore these bigger ideas. Um, and yeah, just speaking to I Paint My Mind as an organization. So I Paint My Mind is a nonprofit arts organization and the mission is to transform people and spaces through the power of art. Over the years, we've kind of played with that a little bit using other phrases like making art accessible to all communities. And that's absolutely part of it. But I think really at the center of the mission is creating more moments where kids and communities and folks who live uh, maybe farther from downtown and the high rent fine art areas um, just creating more moments where they can connect with art and where art is real for them and part of their day-to-day experience. So we're really proud of this model where we're able to support artists directly, engage businesses, and then give back to communities to create more of these moments. Awesome. Obviously, this, this lit a fire in you at some point in life, and I'm, I want to know more about where it comes from. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, as I mentioned, you know, we work with artists a lot. And then, you know, really cool businesses and a lot of teachers that are working tirelessly to make their schools engaging and exciting places to be. And, you know, as I think about kind of really drilling down to, hey, Evan, why, why are you doing this? <laughs> Which is something that, um, yeah, I find myself thinking more and more about these days is really that I grew up in a public school environment where the hallways felt like an art project, right? And it was also... Um, a bilingual immersion school. Um, the, the quick little ditty on my origin story is that my mom is from Kansas. My dad is from Argentina. They met in Spain and settled in Chicago. Mm. So I am this, uh, yeah, multicultural kid who grew up in a city, um, a white Latino that had, I think, a different kind of angle on uh, what being white in America is like with a different having a different cultural experience. And yeah, I was just really lucky enough to kind of have all these things meld together, language and culture and art and activism from a fairly early age um, in my elementary school environment. And so, you know, as I kind of think back on it, it was really the type of environment that required a high level of participation. It just kind of demanded it of everyone. Um, You know, when the when the walls are uh, 3D and coming out at you with art projects and paper mache and, you know, you're doing these different kind of cultural events all the time. uh, Yeah, it just inspires a certain level of uh, participation and engagement. And so, you know, when I talk about what I paint my mind does bringing art galleries and art curriculum and artist workshops into schools. For us, it's really about creating more of those moments where kids are inspired and turned on and start 
asking more questions and start making things and thinking about solutions of the future. So it's really exciting for us to kind of have art be a vehicle for what we really talk about as a social justice project where we're able to create leverage through our client projects to uh, bring, you know, much needed arts programs to schools all over the city of Chicago and, and beyond as of late. Yeah. And it sounds like you art was a, a pretty powerful vehicle for you uh, growing up as a multi multicultural kiddo in a, in a really diverse city. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. How, what, what, how did that inform your identity and what you learned about, you know, the culture in which you grew up? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, Chicago, um, for us being, you know, for the reputation of having kind of this blue collar personality, there's so much happening when it comes to the arts, obviously a thriving theater scene, um, it really isn't at the center of screen printing. Um, incredible artists who have been, you know, kind of honing in on that craft for, for decades now. Um, and, you know, I think also just living in one of the few kind of, uh, you know, no offense to the smaller markets, but real cities in the country where, um, you know, public transportation and public art and graffiti and uh, different identities kind of come together in a way that, um, yeah, I think I was just kind of always focused on kind of expression. Um, you know, I think for me, it really started with words. Um, actually, the other day, because of the teacher's strike that recently concluded here in Chicago, I was also kind of just reflecting on these moments when teachers had inspired me, right? And uh, yeah, Mr. Siegel, my sixth grade English teacher, got me excited about words. And, you know, I kind of considered myself a writer from that point on. And, uh, you know, I think that that kind of mix of seeing these different mediums and always just kind of living um, yeah, in a vibrant environment, definitely always kind of enhanced my appreciation and love of beauty. You know, I'm always just kind of, uh, I can get sidetracked <laughs> because things, uh, inspire me. Right. And, uh, in any case, yeah, I think uh, Chicago definitely, you know, ties into kind of, you know, my personal identity. Um, yeah, and absolutely has been an incredible place to kind of, uh, explore a variety of different mediums. So are you saying, are you going so far as to say that for you at least <laughs> art was a way to create sort of cultural bridges among the folks you knew growing up? A hundred percent. I think so without a doubt. And actually it's cool to hear that kind of reflected in that way. I think one thing, you know, especially leading I paint my mind and being at the top of this smaller mountain, right? I've got my hands in a lot of buckets, but I really do think one of my kind of core um, traits um, or zones of genius might be that kind of conduit piece that like bringing folks together and getting folks excited around a common cause. And so, yeah, really, I paint my mind kind of lives that intersection of art and activism. And uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I, you know, quite frankly, there's uh, all the, all the in and outs and day-to-day -day stuff that needs to get handled, but I'm, I feel super lucky to be able to do the work. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And what have you seen so far in terms of the results that you're most proud of? From we're jumping sure. back to I Paint My Mind, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah. So, you know, I Paint My Mind, um, you know, started as a blog way back in 2008. Um, we kind of hosted local events and did different things like that. And then became a nonprofit in February of 2012. So, yeah, we've been around for a little while now. Um, but I think just kind of as far as the impact, you know, what we've been able to do is provide free art exhibitions to community spaces like schools, 
parks, libraries, and youth centers in uh, over 80 locations throughout the city of Chicago. So we've been able to bring them to uh, what, in, what in Chicago is called a ward. So the city is broken up into 50 wards. Um, and yeah, we've been able to bring art exhibitions to all of those communities. So, you know, for us, really, you know, the kind of impetus was this idea around creating this really accessible print collection uh, that could tour communities and engage folks in perpetuity. So, you know, basically starting in uh, fall 2013, we started mobilizing this art collection. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, we purchased it from artists directly. Um, then fund most of the work by offering services to clients. So uh, one of our clients is Adidas, and we rotate art in their space. And then the funds from that project helps us offer all these free programs to the local schools. But uh, yeah, you know, five years ago, we kind of were like, we what a better way to talk about making art accessible to everyone than getting it into every neighborhood in the city. And uh, yeah, you know, as of a couple of years ago, we've been able to do that. And for now, uh, it's really about kind of thinking about quality and how we can enhance the programs and continue to widen that circle to, uh, you know, put these art galleries and programs um, in as many communities as possible. Awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like one of your metrics in terms of impact is to is to actually successfully set up one of these installations. Um, but then I'm also guessing you've got uh, other ways of measuring impact. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I think for us, kind of speaking to the quality piece. So, um, I, you know, as, as as part of how it works with the school, we basically install uh, an art gallery for them. <clears throat> excuse me, for the entire school year. So, twelve to twenty pieces of art in the school, <clears throat> and then we deliver uh, an art guide, which basically breaks the year down into three chunks. <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, yeah, it really facilitates engagement. So one thing that we've seen and has been really incredible is the art that the kids make that's inspired by the art that is in their school. Mm. Um, so as we've been able to grow the curriculum and offer more resources as part of that and facilitate, facilitate that engagement with our teachers throughout the year, it's been really cool just to see what the kids are making. Um, and, yeah, you know, as I mentioned, for us, it's not only about the kids kind of learning these techniques and being inspired by the art that they see, but really just thinking about what the next step might be for them creatively, whether it's in art or business or community building or anything else. Hmm. Yeah, very cool. I wonder in your in your journey to become the founder of an MPO, uh, have you have you ha come across research or, or findings that really validate how powerful art can be? especially for the development of primary and secondary aged kids? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really interesting, right? Because, um, you know, the more there's more and more research that shows that access to different cultural uh, resources improves a variety of different indicators from, <clears throat> you know, from crime to health um, and things like that, that really once there's a theater in a the neighborhood, once uh, there are murals in business districts once, um, you know, there, there's participation on this level that really kind of um, rises all tides. And, uh, yeah, you know, I think aside from kind of the metrics and how you might be able to correlate that with other kind of social indicators, we also really love this idea that we can't entirely capture the potential of our programs. 
right? Just that one kid being inspired and kind of thinking about their life in an entirely different way. Quite frankly, if that happened, you know, for one child throughout this entire process, I'd feel incredible about it. But it's really interesting to see kind of kids' uh, eyes get wide when an artist um, whose art is in their school comes into their class and shows them a particular technique. You know, it was this past spring, we increased uh, the number of workshops significantly. And yeah, the artists that came into the classroom, the kids kind of treated them like rock stars, right? They were like, wow, living, breathing artists. And that's another thing that I think is incredible too, right? As we feature a lot of locally made art and art made by, you know, artists who are doing everything from the first line on the page through selling the print on their website, that a lot of the content is super accessible. So it's a really cool inroad for kids to get excited about it. And it's not Van Gogh or Vermeer or some old dead white guy um, that is, you know, theoretical and they have no real relationship to. Um, You know, one thing that we really talk about a lot is being able to co-curate with our partners, whether it's Adidas or a school on the west side of Chicago, as far as finding a tie-in that is relevant. Um, You know, I think a lot of times art kind of feels um, frivolous because it's not really related to its environment. It feels like a non sequitur and people are kind of like, wait, what is going on? And, you know, for us, I think it's really important to make sure that the art that we curate with our partners and clients is related to or supportive of that community specifically. So that's another thing that um, we have a lot of fun doing, really finding art that that is a great fit for each partner. Awesome. Yeah. It sounds like you've got several layers uh, really in your mind of, of impact in terms of, you know, how it can be effective. What's your grand vision for this? <clears throat> wow, that changes, uh, <laughs> that yeah, changes sure. <laughs> often. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's interesting because we've kind of actually, um, we've added some board members recently that have really um, inspired us. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll be hosting um, a board meeting where we're really thinking about the kind of 12 and 24 month uh, plan and thinking about these goals and this big vision, right? Uh, you know, I think for us, especially as a nonprofit, uh, being able to grow the programs and grow our reach and our relationships with communities is where, you know, the proof is in the pudding as far as that, you know. And so for us, we'd really love to be able to get to the point where every school in the Chicago area has access to the programs that we offer. So getting these art galleries really everywhere. And actually, as of earlier this year, we um, worked with LinkedIn in Detroit and were able to do a community art exhibition at a local adult education center in East Detroit. Um, and we're working on a couple other partnerships that could see us expand some other markets. So that that's really exciting. But uh, it's interesting because sometimes I think folks see the potential for I Paint My Mind to to grow and, and continue this. And, and that's super exciting. And for us, that just means really continuing this notion of this growing art collection that engages communities in perpetuity. So we'd love to expand in new markets, expand in new communities, and, you know, as always, being able to attract clients that, um, you know, are really all about that giving back and helping us create that impact um, is obviously vital um, to growing it. um, Because for us, with our mission, it really is those client projects that helps fund the work that we do. So we're we're 95% earned income at this point, which is fairly unheard of in the nonprofit sector, which just means that those client projects drive obviously the majority of the revenue. So 
we're not spending a lot of time fundraising or, or garnering donations. And, you know, while I think there's room to, to grow there, really what it allows us to do is focus on um, connecting with more artists and doing more of the work, which leads to more of the work. So, yeah, you know, hopefully we can get to every, every school in the Chicago area and then uh, expand to some other markets as well. Where do you experience pushback, if at all, on this project? Well, it's interesting because I think, you know, speaking to the kind of revenue model, we're trying something that's fairly differentiated in the nonprofit space. Uh, you know, there's there's various um, kind of status quos and schools of thought in the nonprofit space as far as kind of cultivating relationships with foundations and donors, which we've largely abstained from. Uh, and yeah, I think for myself, it's a soapbox that I, I tend to ride from time to time as far as really getting nonprofits to think about sustainability, um, you know, revenue sustainability, mission sustainability, right? The, the kind of bell curve that sees most nonprofits stop existing within three to five years is exactly because there isn't enough emphasis on how the mission will be sustainably funded. You know, so for us, it's it's cool to see our earned income approach where we lease art to clients, do art projects, custom murals with clients, and then that revenue just supports the majority of our free programs. Um, because we uh, obviously it's cool to see our project grow and the mission expand and get more art into more communities. But that also I really think it has great implications for uh, the future of good work and how the nonprofit sector really needs to evolve to continue um, you know, focusing on collaboration and creating more impact in our communities. Uh, you know, that kind of pushback from within the sector is around how that there's a lot of growing pains, I think, going on with respect to how that model's changing or how it needs to change. And even organizations bigger than I pay my mind are thinking more and more about, well, wait, we need to we need to <laughs> earn more revenue and drive more value and make this sustainable because, you know, the foundation money and donations um, really, really don't tend to cut it. Uh, you know, I think aside from what's happening within the nonprofit sector, one thing that's been interesting for us is just honing on, honing in on the messaging around this unique model. Cause people are like, Oh wait, but you do client work, but you're a nonprofit, but what does that mean? And, you know, quite frankly, there's a lot of unpacking that needs to happen with respect to even the term nonprofit. Like it doesn't make any sense, right? We're, uh, our, our tax status with the U S government has nothing to do with how we earn our money. And a lot of times people just assume that nonprofits, like people don't get paid or that like um, there's no cash flow at all. And, you know, that's just that's just not the case. So, um, yeah, it's 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 been interesting for us to kind of hone in on that messaging. And I feel like the last year or so we've gotten a lot better at that as far as just really focusing on the idea of connecting with folks who believe in the power of art, who have experienced these moments where art got them thinking about the world differently. And, you know, I think one of the greatest gifts that we can kind of give other people um, is access to this inspiration. So, you know, I'm really focused more on uh, seeing when people's eyes sparkle when I kind of talk about the mission um, than kind of the commodity of some of the services that we offer. But yeah, in any case, it's, it's, uh, Interesting to think about how our work fits in the nonprofit sector. And I think as any mission-driven organization, how you kind of tell the story around what you're doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely been a process. I'd like to shift gears a little bit if you're open and 
always ask you a little bit about what it's been like to step into a leadership role as however you equate that with your with your um title sure i think uh you know i've always just kind of felt like a leader just been inspired to kind of make projects happen and bring people together around a shared vision so yeah i think you know the ability to communicate and um kind of rally folks around that vision has been um definitely a learning curve and i think even more so for myself is kind of um, supplementing all the things that I know and come natural to, naturally to me as far as curation and community building and really leveling up um, as far as my business acumen, kind of to the whole point I was making around um, business efficiency and being able to, you know, uh, sustainably support the mission. So uh, I'm actually even in an MBA program right now to uh, sharpen those tools and, you know, just be able to gain additional insights into, you know, how I paint my mind can continue to strive to be a really efficient uh, nonprofit and really operationally sound. You know, I think a lot of the times the kind of uh, tropes around a disorganized nonprofit is really about, you know, lack of funding and thus lack of time. So folks are kind of bending over backwards to do all these different things. Um, And so, yeah, I think one thing in addition to kind of the, uh, you know, core business skills that help make things work, really just thinking about operating efficiently and making sure that um, we're not just kind of like playing whack-a-mole and, and bending over backwards to put out fires and stuff. Uh, you know, really embracing kind of project and campaign approach to our work and batching things as much as possible so that we can, you know, provide a deliverable and move on instead of just overlap another Venn diagram. So that's really where my head is kind of at uh, as far as, yeah, making sure we're able to drive as much impact as possible. Yeah. And in addition to your sort of structural leadership that you're speaking about with the, with the organization, is it too big of a leap to say you're also in some ways a leader in that community? Not that that's what you're aiming for, but that might be a byproduct. Sure. What have you learned about yourself stepping into being more visible with a mission and trying to invite people into really into a belief, right? right? That this, that art can help transform lives and communities. Right. Yeah. No, that's super interesting question. I wonder, you know, I I think as I mentioned kind of early on, it's made me reflect more on those moments that inspired me so much to do this work Um, and really kind of asking more questions of other folks around that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, kind of central to it is also just kind of this, um, you know, one thing we take pride on is this idea around mutual benefit. And I think it's just, uh, it makes sense for personal relationships. And I've just kind of thought, you know, this, um, this model where everybody wins that we've created is, I think, kind of essential to rallying folks around that. And I think that's also probably, you know, fairly central to my personality. So as I kind of communicate with folks around that, um, yeah, I think it probably just comes off as genuine um, and, and authentic to me. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's uh, it's interesting to reflect on, yeah, I might, I might need some more time on that also just to think about kind of what telling that story um, has taught me about myself. But that's a, I really love that question. 
Was there a moment that you think back to where maybe the spark was really kindled? Yeah, I mean, you know, I definitely, I've been thinking a lot more about my sixth grade English teacher, Mr. Siegel, um, with respect to that. But I also think um, uh, live music for me played a huge role in just in getting me excited about art and being totally overcome by the expression, right? Um, obviously, rock music in an arena or in a small theater can do that. It envelops you. It kind of like takes over, right? And uh, yeah, I think, you know, personally, uh, been to, I've spent way too much money on concerts over the years, but it's been totally worth it because I really think it is about kind of totally giving to yourself over to that inspiration and, um, you know, letting practicality go long enough to just be in- inspired by something. So, yeah, honestly, I think kind of like the, the written word um, concerts. And then, you know, as I think back, I also had the um, real, real uh, incredible experience of being able to see Salvador Dali's work in, in Spain um, in person. And I remember just being my, my, my dad's also very much in the theater and visual art and architecture and design and things like that. And obviously, you know, people kind of open these gateways of inspiration for us. And, uh, yeah, I remember my dad being like, wait till you see this stuff, (laughs) you know, when it came to like Salvador Dali. And I think, um, you know, for like my, my personal art collection, I definitely kind of tend to like the weirder stuff and just the idea that, um, surrealism in general, that like we can create this whole different sphere of existence, uh, uh, it's just incredible to me. It really kind of opened up the idea that um, there are no rules that we can kind of expand beyond what we know to create new solutions. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, being able to do that as the leader of I Paint My Mind is pretty central to why I, I love doing the job so much. Yeah. And it strikes me as you're mentioning all that, uh, that you really uh, count sort of the ability to immerse yourself in an experience and maybe for some, it could be opportunity or exposure, whatever you want to call it, allowed you to open up channels within yourself. And it seems like that's been what's guiding your mission now, that if we can simply give opportunity for immersion of the self, of the person to experience themselves in a a really powerful way, uh, then doors will open for them, channels will open for them, ideas will sprout. Absolutely. And that, Absolutely, and 100%. That really brings it full circle for me in the, in the bigger conversation about, you know, sure. equity and humanity. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So well, I mean, and honestly, that was the next place I was going to go as far as talking about kind of like inclusion and access and equity, right? Because embedded in all this is we're taking art to communities. We're not saying come to the Gold, Gold Coast in Chicago to this fine art museum and then you can play, right? right. Um, and I think that that's hugely a part of it. Uh, putting stuff that's contextual, that's relatable um, in places that we live and work and play just changes the way art lives in the world, right? It stops being this you know, highfalutin, inaccessible, red rope, square rim glass thing. It becomes you know, of the people, for the people, and yeah, you know, a lot of the schools that we work with, you know, don't even have basic, you know, art supplies, unfortunately. And so, you know, that that we bring the art to 
the community, I think is, you know, hugely important. And quite frankly, I have, I have large ambitions about being able to do more work in the future to compel more fine art institutions to rethink what community engagement looks like, you yeah, know, like because access, right. Um, it's still very much like the world of real estate. Right. You know, it's right. like, it's like come to the high rent area or else. And, you know, that's just like a terrible that, you know, it can yeah. be more anti inclusion. So um, that's definitely part of it. What is the most inspiring anecdote you've heard from a teacher or ed- educator as a result of the work so far? Uh, from a teacher, you said? Well, I'm just saying in line with, you know, this. Yeah this like going into the community and really being conscious of of accessibility. Yeah. I mean, I think the comment that would more come to mind would be from one of the students, you know, Um, we invited, so uh, Sam Kirk is a multidisciplinary artist who goes back and forth between Brooklyn and Chicago. We're actually very happy to have recently added her to our board of directors. And uh, Sam actually went and did an artist workshop in uh, one of the schools that we work with at Bateman Elementary on Chicago's north side. And she did a mini mural with these second graders. And one of the quotes that came from that, other than this is the best day ever, was, wow, she looks like me. Right? And so, like, aside from... Yeah, it just it's so much deeper than the art, you know? It's so much more than the technique. It's really, I think, about being seen, being acknowledged, kids having that sense as they're developing ideas about who they are and what being in the world means. And so that Sam Kirk, you know, a, you know, queer Latina from the South side of Chicago, you know, is representative of a professional artist, an artist living and working, and that she comes into a second grade classroom. Um, I think, yeah, it does, does so much for kids feeling seen and supported and you know uh quite frankly same for the teachers right it's uh you know um they they have less and less to work with every year and are asked to do more and more and so we definitely take pride in supporting you know the very the very involved and dedicated work they do all the time totally that's awesome uh i'm thinking of my my son's my son is a kindergartner and uh He's in, cool. a, in a school that I'm, I'm sure you would appreciate and think of his school. And I think of, you know, we're always thinking of how do we get access and, and how do, how do all the kids get access? Um, because, sure. because we know we don't, we don't need the data, but it's out there if you want it. Anyone who's, who's, you know, yeah. just immerse themselves in their artistic self knows the power, right? <laughs> uh, no, definitely. Yeah. And I think even within the kind of like, educational environment even more so right this i you know quite frankly the kids who do not have the creative skills will be their work will be commoditized that you know like creative skills i think are what gonna are what are gonna create kind of that upward potential and trajectory uh you know of the workforce of the future so i i think you know the whole stem to steam thing is is real you know kids being able to differentiate and have a unique expression a unique creative thought is going to add to you know whatever they typed in on the computer right totally, so totally. yeah i think yeah. it's 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 you know even just from a holistic education standpoint 
And uh, yeah, and then offline, you and I should chat about connecting on Take My Mind with your son's school. <laughs> ah, I'd love that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That'd well, be awesome. I mean, to the extent that this may be beyond the scope of your focus right now, but to the extent that you feel comfortable talking about it, I'd love to hear more about what your vision is of how you know young people accessing this part of themselves artistically will serve the future of the species as they come into the workforce as they come into their 20s what do you see like what role do you see now um right things like i paint my mind playing yeah i mean i think you know and and we're not there's so many other organizations doing incredible work to support kids and, and communities and schools right but yeah just as far as um what we see happening with technology in the future right uh, you know anything that can be reduced to uh an equation you know will be and yeah just thinking about especially kind of the trajectory of you know the american economy right like way more services not building as much anymore and really you have like you know consulting firms that are just you know, almost like printing money, you'd assume, because of how much they're expanding, and basically how this, you know, skills like, um, yeah, creative from design to development, right, um, digital and physical, right, and then into all the creative that needs to be assembled for, you know, everywhere from the top tier brands down through a small business, right, you, you need a graphic designer, you need someone to write copy that converts, like all these the creative is basically what sets, I think, a business of the future apart from a business that's ready to stop existing soon, yeah. right? So it, it's it's also, I think, you know, I kind of talk about typical business has tended to be one solution for one buyer, right? Just like one-way path, boom, cash for product or service. And that really, I think, you know, for I Paint My Mind, we're, we're connecting folks and creating leverage that creates four wins, right? Artists win because we purchase art from them. Businesses get this great service and this give back component. And, you know, teachers and, and kids get access to programs that they wouldn't have had otherwise, right? And so for, you know, basically adding us to that, there's four different players and we're passing the, the benefit on to the next one. So, you know, I think the more we're thinking about creativity, creative skills, new models for value in business that more of these solutions that these creative kids will develop will involve four winners instead of just one. Yeah. And so I think that really increases our ability to think about the social impact of our businesses and really what kind of change we're hoping to, to make in the world aside from whatever our core business function is. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it just like the potential is pretty, pretty untold you know it's it's exciting yeah and i and i can appreciate that your your brain is very good at drawing the direct application uh, which is clearly a real strength of yours in your position and i think all that sounds really valid and great and then i also think there's even more validity to what you're doing by by adding the psychological component of you know just the exercising the muscle and uh, the, the brain, yes. the brain development, the social emotional development that art can provide and uh, especially when it's collaborative. And then um, totally. And, and what I keep thinking about, you know, because I have a five year old is what's the world going to be like in 15, 20 years um, as he right. rides into independent adulthood. And I really see such a premium 
on the ability to create relationships that are attuned to each other and that yes. are collaborative in, you know, some pretty high stakes creative problem solving. And so 100%. it might sound like a leap for our conversation, but I just want to, I just want to validate that that layer is in there and what you're doing uh, in, in terms of the, the impact on development, even though we may not see it as concretely or directly or immediately. No, yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I think, yeah, I think that, I think that's a huge part of it, you know, especially as a nonprofit who's increasingly pushed to kind of think of ways to um, create metrics to, you know, to validate the work. And that's, I mean, what's kind of awesome about people being kids, and, you know, and teachers and young folk being inspired by this stuff is that it's, it's hard to entirely quantify. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm confident the net benefit is large, but yeah, 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 it's, yeah. Uh, it's definitely, it's definitely an intangible. And so um, at the same time, I, you know, we, we're, we're cool with that. Yeah. 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 I, I can appreciate needing to deal in the concrete <laughs> in this, in this world. Especially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right. So for anybody who's listening, who maybe aspires to start something like you've started um, in whatever, whatever field they're in, what words of encouragement would you give them? And you might even think of your, you know, 2008 self. Um, yeah. Yeah. What would Absolutely. You say? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's super interesting because as I look back, um, there was a lot of flying blind, especially at the beginning. Right. Uh, but you know, in, in, in kind of the way I think about it now is that I kind of divide into why and how, right. Especially for those of us who are thinking about how the world can be a better place. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's all this, we're, we're all wrapped up in the why, you know, like why we want to, why we want to do this, what good we want to um, create. But I think really thinking strategically and as practically as possible about the how is something that a lot of us kind of uh, make the world a better place. Bleeding heart folks tend to run roughshod over. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, like I care enough about this to make it happen no matter what. And um, while I think it's super important to embrace passion, I think uh, you know, really forcing ourselves to be strategic thinkers in addition to idealistic thinkers is the kind of counterweight that ensures that we build projects that are great and not just costly, right? Um, or, or inefficient. Um, you know, I think the other piece is that I didn't just decide one day to like quit my job and whatever was going to happen and just like go for it. Right. Like I was able to to blog and host events and build community leading up to when I pay my mind became a nonprofit. And so we kind of had built this runway to that that I think was super helpful. And and that's really just an example of a side hustle. You know, I think a lot of times when new projects come on the horizon or big visions or businesses or things like that, uh, we folks tend to think about it as like a precipice that you need to jump off of. And, you know, while there are things in life that might push us to that, um, you know, like I got let go of a job that made me think about hitting the gas on I Paint My Mind, right? And it was a really nice push. But at the same time, I would have been, I wouldn't have been ready to land if I hadn't been working on that as a side hustle for, you know, years before that. And so 
yeah, I can't say enough about the side hustle, you know, something that like engages us uh, personally, intellectually, creatively, you know, it's not only, I think, healthy, uh, but I think it's also a really strategic and, and practical way to think about growing, uh, you know, a nascent project. Awesome. Who are the leaders, dead or alive, that you look up to? Wow. Wow. Uh, you know, in uh, one thing that I really am grateful for growing up was being very much steeped in education around the civil rights movement. And so, yeah, like, quite honestly, um, yeah, as far as speaking to a future vision of the world and trying to bring folks along with that, I think Martin Luther King is pretty hard to beat from a, a, a rallying cry, a communication, a shared values of, you know, pulling us all, inspiring us toward a future state. Uh, most of his speeches that I've heard and reheard, um, you know, still just give me chills to this day. Mm. Um, you know, I think there's this order piece, this, this, um, that is central to, or a communication piece that is central to being a leader, mm. uh, being able to kind of gauge where folks are at, kind of, um, mold ourselves to, to folks to be able to communicate effectively and, and meet folks where they are. And so, you know, I think, um, um, I definitely try to, yeah, and, uh, kind of embrace that intuitive side that I think, um, a variety of great leaders have that really allows the kind of personal connection with each individual to, yeah, facilitate a more, a more, um, how can I say like open and productive relationship? Um, and so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would have to think, I think one other leader that I have to mention, um, from what I intuit about how he builds his teams, but also just the communication and the thought leadership is uh, Seth Godin. Um, uh, I read every word he writes. And uh, so I'm, I pay, I pay good attention to, uh, the nuance um, that he kind of offers insight into, because um, I think we can kind of tend to, um, yeah, run roughshod over the questions that are a little harder to answer. And I appreciate that he that he meets them head on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's let's finish by coming back to Mr. Siegel. <laughs> nice, because you mentioned it I'd twice, love it. right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, did. Yeah, it's, it just happened. I saw him at the coffee shop the other day when he was coming in to get a cup of coffee before going, before going downtown to another one of the teachers uh, marches for their strike. So I saw him oh, recently. Wow. So, so he's aware, yeah, he's yeah, aware yeah. of what you've created. Yeah, he is. He is. Um, and you know, just in the typical, his typical way, he just gave me another kind of huge amount of, uh, uh, confidence, you know, just kind of reiterating his support in, in the project. And, uh, uh, at I Pay My Mind, we do something that we call a community dinner where we invite the artists, businesses, educators, and supporters that we work with over the years to basically have tacos and connect and brainstorm and uh, just think with us about how we can be better and, and more connected. And uh, I told Mr. Siegel that I would love to have him at one of those. And he said he'd drop everything to be there. So, you know, mm. it's, those, it's those things that like mean, mean so much and that uh, I think... Um, yeah, has you know, 
yet again, he's uh, inspired me to keep rocking. So, it, I mean, it sounds like you may have just answered a little part of this. It, it sounds like in sixth, <laughs> in sixth grade, there was something about the way he showed up. Maybe there was, there was an all-in sense to him. Um, but I want, yeah. you know, for not only people who are listening, because some people who are listening might be in a position to make impact on young folks yeah. right now, right? Yeah. So what was it about the way he showed up to you in middle school that was so powerful? I think he just reflected um, that my ideas were worthwhile, that like my perspective was worth writing down, and that the way that I tended to write it down was worth doing more writing to basically just encourage me to kind of, again, and we kind of referred to building that muscle, right? Building that, that creative muscle. Um, I think kind of embedded in that, like was a certain sense of, um, like keeping on me a little bit, right. To like not settle for, for, for less and kind of push myself, uh, in that area. But, you know, I think it really does speak to, yeah, just that acknowledgement, that being seen, you know, I think um, it, you know, feeling that from my parents, I think, is what has given me a certain degree of confidence and autonomy to be who I am in the world. And, you know, Mr. Siegel was absolutely, I think, uh, in that lineage of leaders or teachers in my life that uh, that just, you know, it's amazing because it's, you know, I also just say just like encouragement is free, right? If you're a teacher, you you do it every day. But, you know, with our peer groups, with those who might be a little farther, you know, a little behind us on the path and things like that. I really just encourage everyone to encourage each other. It's, it's free. It means so much to each one of us. And, um, yeah, I think in that very kind of elemental way, just being seen and encouraged, um, and validated in just being who I was. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just so important to creating or, you know, growing, engaged and um engaged adults really yeah it sounds like you know an implicit clear message that you matter your voice matters and i'm not just blowing hot air because i'm gonna challenge you to stick with it absolutely absolutely you know i try to i try to be that when we show up for the communities we work with as well and you know uh, yeah mr siegel is an incredible example of that yeah that's awesome Anything that you'd like to say that we didn't get to before I ask people, you know, I'll ask people how they can engage sure. in your work, but is there anything else um, feel like a, an unfinished thread or something that you're really excited to share about? Uh, no, you know, I think, I guess, I mean, the only thing I would just kind of um, offer as a bit of a kind of like thought experiment is just for folks who are thinking about, you know, new paths forward that uh, there's actually this book. Um, I think it's called Blue Ocean Strategy. And the concept is really just around that, like, the biggest upside is in the space where that no one has tried yet. Hmm. Right. And so that a lot of times we really just think about if we're like iterating on a status quo, that really like a small percentage shift in how that works is going to exist. And so that like, no matter what we're working on, that really kind of blowing that up a little bit and thinking about like what's totally left field right now like what has what have we not considered whatsoever um and that that really opens up i think a ton a ton of um 
potential and upside just because the status quo is the status quo for a reason, right? Mm. Different folks are are vested in it existing that way. Um, and that doesn't mean it has to be that way. It just means that we might have to uh, think a little more about, you know, a whole new way of doing things. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, um, making sure that we have time to do that big thinking um, is important. And then I think one thing I would just say on the other side, just being a little more practical and less idealistic mm. is setting time, setting time aside to think about how we do the work better. Right. Cause if we, if we're not intentional about that time, it's just like, it's back to whack-a-mole. So yeah, whatever we can do to kind of um, create a little space to, to work better, I think is really key. Yeah. Yeah. So Evan LaRuffa, founder and executive director for I Paint My Mind. Uh, how can people listening, uh, what are the ways they can support what you're doing? Absolutely. So yeah, you can connect with us at ipaintmymind.org. Learn more about our model and programs there. Uh, yeah, you know, I would just say to anyone who has experienced those moments where art just stops time and and inspires you and changes the way you think about yourself in the world that they'd probably be into what we're doing and you know at the same uh at the same time i think you know any businesses that are really looking to do something cool in their space that you know you know both um does a lot for uh, their imprint but also gives them this great connection to the community that uh um yeah we're just looking to connect with more businesses that are, are looking to give back in cool ways and uh yeah, I think, uh, you know, kind of just relating to that being inspired by, by art and music and everything else that brings us to life is a, a great inroad to connecting with I Paint My Mind. Thank you so much for being willing to come on the show and, and share about yourself and your work and um, really appreciate and inspired by what you're doing out there. Thanks, Jesse. It's been my pleasure, man. Find out more about Evan's work at ipaintmymind.com. In thinking of the impact Mr. Siegel had on Evan, how would you change the way you present yourself to the world if you believed you had the power to influence someone's life in a similar way? This has been the Super Givers Podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Jesse Johnson. You can help me out with one of three simple actions. You can write a five-star review on iTunes, you can tell a friend about the show, or you can listen to another episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or TuneIn. You can learn more about me and my equine-based leadership work at supergivers.com. Thanks for listening.